0: Hello, you're listening to the Brainy Speech Therapist Podcast. We're your hosts, Helen McLean and Jan McIntosh-Brown. Here, we aim to look at all aspects of brain injury, from the research to the rehabilitation, and always through the lens of speech and language therapy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Brainy Speech Therapist Podcast. We have our guest today is, is Guido Corvey, who is a person living with a brain injury. And I'm going to let Guido tell you a little bit about himself. So, yeah, Guido, introduce yourself.
1: Well, my name is Guido Corvi, but first of all, I would like to say it's a, a, absolutely a pleasure to be able to do this. And to do anything that we can do for anyone who suffers from brain damage, gives me an awful lot of pleasure. So what I'm going to do is basically tell you just a little bit about the history before my uh, brain injury, which was caused by a motorcycle accident. Now, unfortunately, um, I was married, and sadly my wife couldn't have any children. And my wife sadly died at 42 from a cancerous brain tumour. And I really struggled with that. I was working all my life previous in my father's fish and chip shop. And I was also a DJ, but I couldn't go back to the shop because the shop was in an area where there was a lot of violent people, people that were not nice. And I couldn't take that because my wife who was a very kind honest loving woman was lying in a cemetery so i didn't go back
0: so to can to I work what what sort of time what time was that like what year was all of this happening for
1: well you? that was well, my wife was 42 when she died um, and that i'm trying to remember it's about 19 years ago
0: okay
1: so um i really struggled after my wife died I was going to the cemetery practically all night and things like that and I'm not the only person that does that there's lots of people that do that because I would see them there anyway I struggled very very hard for many many years and I wasn't working in my father's business I was still doing disco work that's all that was sort of allowing me to pay the bills and things anyway my younger brother, 15 years younger than me, to get me out of the house, he had said to me, you know, would you like to go on a motorbike trip to Italy? Now, I've never driven to Italy either a car or a motorbike, and I said no because my emotions from grief were still hurting me too much. But my brother basically persuaded me to do this, and it ended up to be amazing adventure of love between two brothers and giving me some happiness back Um, we did um, seven countries in one day and uh, we went to Italy then we came back now that allowed me to be a little bit happier then my brother said look I'm getting my own hair salon a franchise of a Rainbow Room International, which is the biggest company in Scotland and the most successful company in Scotland. Uh, He was getting his franchise in here and he asked me if I wanted to go with him. And I had said to him, I said, well, you know, I'm bald and I don't know anything about hairdressing, but I went down there and I thoroughly enjoyed every second of it because the training, The education, the professionalism of Rainbow Room is second to none. The teaching for the young people. And if you would see, say, a young girl or a young boy at 16 coming in, wanting to be a hairdresser, and then they go through everything and they then become a hairdresser, or a, a, sorry, that's the wrong way to describe it. It's not a hairdresser, it's a salon... Dresser, stylist, a, a salon stylist, that's correct. Yeah. Now, they have different levels. You have salon stylist, and you go up to next level. Rainbow Room have eight sa- salon levels and then you become a salon director. And if you become a salon director, the majority of them own a salon. So I was there with my young brother and it was fantastic to see a young boy, a young girl, Going in there and then, you know, having a 50000 £60,000 a year job. Absolutely amazing. And being the best in Britain. Anyway, I loved it. But my life after many years of being on my own and missing my wife, loneliness, no children. Everyone else is working. I'm sort of on my own all the time. I really, really wanted a relationship. And that is before my crash. So I would try and go on dates, meet people, and I vowed to give these people 200 to a 1,000% of me because, sadly, my wife only got 65% of me. I was working in my father's shop for 16 hours.
0: So, Guido, tell us a little bit, well, tell us as much as you can remember about your... Your actual accident? What's My happened? accident... Um, what, what, like, so, because it's a few years since your accident, isn't
1: it? Yes, it was 2013. So, now,
0: nearly 10 years. So yes,
1: now um, BBC Scotland were making a documentary um, about the life and death crashes on the A9 road. And as they're out filming this programme does it not come through their radio that there had been a serious motorcycle crash involving two people who are lying unconscious in the road. So that was myself and the person that was on the back of the motorcycle. Now, um, I had overtaken the truck driver. I was doing about 55 to 60 mile an hour, pulled in, and I was just happily doing 65, sorry, between 55 and 65 mile an hour, mile after mile, mile after mile. And the truck driver had saw that something fell off the back of the bike, which caused the wheel in the bike to be blocked. The lady that was on the back fell off and just uh, scratched her arm a bit. But apparently I was trying to keep the bike up, which I know being experienced a motorcycle, that's what i been doing. But then the truck driver said that I put the bike down. Now, I know that I would have put that bike down if it was going to maybe go into someone else or go into a central reservation. So to stop that, I put the bike down. But unfortunately, it bounced all over me. It was a big 1300cc, a very heavy bike, and it bounced all over me, smashed my lungs and everything. As I said, it was all recorded. The police are coming to the crash, we're lying on the road, but they get a message that it's going to take 58 minutes for an ambulance to get to us. Was this
0: quite remote,
1: where you had your crash? It was on the A9 motorway. Between? Perth, Uh, um, I think it was Perth, it was near Perth. Okay. And um, it was just, it was going to take 58 minutes for an ambulance to get to me. a long time. And I only had about five minutes to live. So the luckily an ambulance passing the other way stopped and put a tube in me mm-hmm. to help me breathing and then the the police arrived they had to close the motorway for 5 hours the reason for that is everyone thought i was definitely going to die and not make it so they need a severe crash investigation anyway they got me to hospital i was in a coma my memory is about five weeks, I was in a coma. And
0: that was nine wells. I that see.
1: was in Dundee. Dundee, yes. Dundee, okay. Dundee hospital. Yeah. And I came out of the coma and I couldn't feel any part of my body. I couldn't feel my legs, couldn't feel my arms. Or Do anything. you remember all of this? I remember my first thoughts. Now I couldn't see because my eyes couldn't open, but my very first thought was, Where's my father? I thought I was a wee boy and um, my father had died 15 years or 18 years earlier. So my first thought was, where's my father, but I couldn't see, I couldn't feel my arms or anything. And then a couple of days later, I could feel some movement at my back. And then about four days, I could start to see shadowy. and. That feeling was, they were moving me on a hoist. Um, But the worst thing that I remember, when I first could see, and it affected me for at least two to three years, was my eyes could see, and I looked down, and there was this young nurse wiping my backside. And that was so, Embarrassing for me, mm. and I felt so ashamed that I have caused this poor young lady to have to do that, and it seriously affected me. Now in the hospital, they tried very very hard to try to get me to walk to the toilet, and one thing or another, but I really struggled. Then I got put home. Now.
0: So. The, so you, from from memory, you went. You were in Nine Mills and then you went to Inverclyde. Was it the PDRU, the physical? Disability? No, 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 no. What oh. had
1: happened? What had happened was I um, went home. Okay. I did go to. I I I can't remember. I went to Peasley for two weeks. Okay. Then I went home. Okay. I was at home, and this lady and decided to move into my house, and her son was there as well. Now, unknown to me...
0: So can I just check in again, time frame, so that was kind of, was that sort of December 2013, just before Christmas, or...?
1: Yes, round about those about. So not long after your accident,
0: really?
1: I I, I can't remember totally, I think it would have been later. I think that would have been later on. But what happened was this lady was secretly drinking and getting quite abusive. Instead of being a nice person, if she didn't drink, she was just a very nice person. But she would get abusive in one thing or another. Now, I was sleeping a lot. And it wasn't because I'm lazy. I've never been a lazy person, but I was sleeping a lot in this lady was very angry that I didn't take her to the pub at the weekend and things like that and she'd be abusive to me.
0: So you were feeling very fatigued. Yes.
1: No, I had no strength. You know, I couldn't I couldn't lift my head up to get a cup out of my kitchen cabinet because I would feel dizzy. I didn't have the st- I couldn't lift my hand high enough to get the cup. I was very weak and not strong. This particular day, this lady, it was a lovely summer's day, and I thought she was out the back reading a book, uh, sunbathing, but obviously she was out the back drinking bottles of wine. And she'd then come back and say to me, you need to get up, you need to get up, you're sleeping too long. And she'd be poking and hurting me because I didn't have any strength. She kept doing it, getting me up, And then I'm in the front room, and then she'd go back out. I'd sneak back into my room, my bedroom, and fall asleep. But this, I took so much abuse from this lady that I couldn't take it anymore. So I called the police. And I said to myself, you know, I shouldn't be going through this. I shouldn't be getting Mm. treated this way. Anyway, the doorbell goes. I knew it was the police because I phoned them. She answers the door. So the police asked for me, they come into my room. Now, I am suffering from brain damage, I'm very <laughs> upset, <laughs> but I told the police officers everything completely truthfully as it was. But I'm also experienced from working in a chip shop and I know that if there's something in a house and there's a, a problem between a man and a woman, the majority of person that's going to get into trouble it would be the man. So the police interview me, then they go away and then they come back about half an hour later and they said to me, I was very shocked when they said to me, would you like the lady to be uh, charged? And I said, no officers, I, I don't want anyone charged. Now um, they were going to go away but I knew that if they'd went away, it would all start again. So I said to the police, could you please remove that woman from my house and her son? And he did. Now, I've never seen that woman since then. But unfortunately, when I'm telling you this podcast, I'd actually missed a middle bit earlier before that happened. Can I go back to that?
0: You can do whatever whatever you would like to do, Guido. I just wondered if, we, if we're if we going to have time to talk about how you got into hospital. This, is, this
1: is actually quite important okay. about okay. it. Okay. What actually happened earlier, the woman was abusing me and I decided to go to the Southern General Hospital. Okay. I got a taxi, I go to the Southern General Hospital, I go to accident emergency, telling people that I was really tired all the time and this woman was abusing me now unfortunately they kept me in accident emergency for about five hours then they put me into a ward now it's not a ward for brain damage it's a ward that everyone goes to until they go to a ward that's assigned to them now unfortunately i went to get up to the toilet and i'll just say it as it is I went to the toilet and it's,
0: it's
1: covered in... Okay. human waste. It's covered in... Human waste. Human, human... Waste. Human waste, it, it's covered in, I'll say it, shite everywhere. <laughs> now that seriously affected me. I couldn't go to that toilet. So I'm then in a bed waiting for them to give me um, my proper um, ward. And there's obviously people who've been in from a disco the night before, problems with drink and drugs. They're all cursing, swearing, they're breaking wind. That really affected me. I could not cope with that. And I couldn't eat, I couldn't go to the toilet, I couldn't relax, I couldn't sleep. I was just holding my hands thinking. So
0: So how did How have you got from there to here? I
1: need to tell you what happened was I decided I'm only going to give them two more hours or I'm going home but I can't stay in this ward. I went outside and sat on a bench outside the ward and this is where I've been very lucky that I've always bumped into people who did beyond the call of duty. So I'm outside just waiting for two hours if they don't give me this ward I'm going home This man comes up, I thought he was a visitor. He's got a suit on and a tie and he says, hello, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, I had a motorcycle crash and things have not been right at home and I just don't feel well. He says, well, I'm a brain injury expert and I have three wards at the basement of Greenock Hospital. If I can get you an ambulance, will you come? Now, this man, this doctor and his brother were so, so kind to me. They tried everything that they could do for me, but they couldn't fix me because I was sleeping all the time. So they then sent me home. I was lucky enough, one day, this lady had been chapping my door every morning for a year, and I never answered it. This morning my brain switched on slightly and I went and answered it and it was Margaret from uh, Quarriors and she says that she does aftercare and she would like to come and see me every Tuesday. I couldn't write, couldn't remember things and Margaret said it's important for you to record every thought that you have because I'll go through that and I might be able to help you with some So, Margaret from the Sunshine Club came the following Tuesday, listened to 600 recordings. (laughs) She was there. Out of those 600 recordings, maybe three were able for Margaret to teach me something. Mm -hmm. She came every week, every week. And then Margaret knew that there was only one place in Scotland that could help me, and that was Graham Anderson House. So I had to wait a long time to get into Graham Anderson House. I remember slightly coming into Graham Anderson House and my sister, because there was another man who had brain damage, was cursing and swearing and doing something about football, and then there was someone else singing. And I I remember my sister, who sadly is no longer with us, saying, oh, I don't think my brother can go in there. But I remember Margaret, who was from um, Quarros, was so nice to me, she asked me to trust them. And I went in there, and um, as days went on, I felt calmer, I was in a room of my own. They would take me and sit me down in front of a TV set, but none of it was going in my brain. I was just totally away somewhere else. Um, and we had Brian O'Neill, we had speech people, we had people who were trying to teach me how to walk. I remember going to Brian O'Neill I'm saying, now he's come and give me my medication at 9 o'clock at night. It was supposed to be earlier but I asked him to make it later and Brian agreed and then I would say to Brian, you know, I don't get to sleep till half seven in the morning and you wake me up at quarter to seven. And Brian would go to his computer and print it off and he would go, no goodo, you were sleeping at 12, you were sleeping at one, which I thought was amazing and it shows you how much they look after the patients. But when I went back to my room, with brain damage you analyse everything.
0: So how did he know that you'd been asleep?
1: Because they would come and check everywhere. they come and check and see how you are. You don't know that because you're fast asleep. Now, the other thing was that I went back to my room and I analysed things because of my brain damage. I analysed everything. And I went, that man saved my life, and I told him a lie. Now, obviously, I know now it wasn't a lie. It was what my brain was telling me. But in those days, I said, no, I told... Neurosurgeon Brian O'Neill, a lie, the man that saved my life. And that devastated me. So I actually vowed then not to tell a lie, not even a white lie. And I have never, ever done it from that day. Now, Graham Anderson House helped me tremendously. And there was a point when I was able to go, no, the most important part was that Brian O'Neill called me into his office and he said, Guido, I think I know what's wrong with you. Half an inch above your left ear, there's a lobe and that lobe stores melanzone, which is sunlight, which you get from sunlight. Every human being stores it, but you can't store it. There is a drug in America that's only been used once in Britain. You'll be the second person in Britain but I think you should try it. I think it could help you. Are you prepared to try it? So I said, yes. So I've got to tell you, that's the only reason that I'm talking to you today. I'm walking and doing what I can do. I would not have been able to do that. And remember, as I said at the beginning, a lot of people thought I was just being lazy and sleeping, but it was because of my brain Was telling me to sleep all the time. The fact that that medication kept me awake would then allow physios, other people, to get me better because I was awake and I was taught to speak properly, I was taught to walk again, Um, the brain injury specialist took me to the gym, took me to swimming. And it got me into a position that I could go home. Now, I went home, and uh, sadly I'd told you what had happened with that lady, but then I got the lady out of my house. But Brian and Margaret had said, you know, when you, when you get brain damage and you get better, it can also come back. And sadly, mine's came back, full of emotions and analysing everything at home. Are you talking
0: about your memory coming back?
1: Oh. No, 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 I'm talking about brain damage, the okay. level of brain damage. Um, when I when I went home, I was okay, mm-hmm. but once I went back home, it started um, going down the way. I was, okay. Okay. I was thinking constantly, okay. and it was making me very ill and I had to get up at 5 in the morning, try and walk, go to the swimming, just do something that would stop me thinking. Now I would be thinking when I was doing these things, but maybe an observation would stop that for a second and that would help me. Now sadly um, I got really, really ill and then with what happened and analysing about that relationship, analysing that I'm on my own and I've got nobody to talk to, I actually had to go for counselling. The counselling helped me. Um, I went on a date with a lovely lady, but this lady had not been on a date for 25 years. It was the first time she... Look, she was separated from her husband and she basically concentrated on bringing her children up for 25 years. A very nice, lovely lady. I think I may have talked too much to her. (laughs) Uh, She decided that maybe the um, dating wasn't for her. But um, a month later, I just sent her a message saying, Hi, Jackie, Um, hope things are good with you. And she said, "Oh, they are Guido. Guido, would you like to meet up for a coffee?" So I went down for a coffee. Now, this lady, I had only met her twice in my life, and she's a carer for children with issues. But her daughter and her sister stayed in the Gold Coast in Australia. So I stayed in Houston. She stayed in Solcoach. She said to me, "I'm going to Australia on." Wednesday. Is there any chance you could give me a lift? Not a problem. So I go down, get Jackie, take her to the airport, drop her off. I go home. Um, I'm at home doing the usual, analysing everything. Then I get a bus pipe in my ceiling, in my loft. Now, I go up there. Once I had, um, when I was not well, I got a new... Um, toilet, and I got a new um, radiator system and everything, and they did up in my loft all the warm stuff, but they actually made a big big mess. I couldn't see anything when I went up there; everything was covered. Obviously, because I was not well, they just took advantage of that. I couldn't find the stopcock for the because I couldn't remember. I thought it was down in my kitchen. But my wee old neighbour next door, Mary, a lovely lady, 80 years of age, says hers up in the loft. So I'm up in the loft for an hour with no lights, no electricity, no heating. It was winter, trying to find this. I couldn't get it off. So water's going for about two and a half hours. A neighbour, two, two doors up, he got a, a switch that could put it off, a key that could turn it off at the pavement. We went out, we couldn't turn it off because sky had laid all their carbon fibre and filled it up with rubbish. So I go back into my house, and um, it's now three and a half, four hours, this water's been on. Another neighbour comes and said, Guido, it is under your sink <laughs> in the kitchen. He came and switched it off. So, The next morning I'm in my front room and I'm looking at these blisters in the ceiling, my hall, my bedroom, the back bedroom, and I'm just thankful to God that it's off. But then at 12.30, all the ceilings collapsed and totally destroyed everything in my bedroom, the two bedrooms and my hall, everything destroyed, wardrobes, TVs, computers, destroyed. Now, um, that made me so very, very unwell, and that I was waiting for the insurance company to get back to me, and they hadn't got back to me in four days, but that happened on a Wednesday. On Friday, Jackie, who I'd given a lift to the airport, was in Dubai and phoned me, and she says, oh, that's terrible, Guido. She says, Guido, I'm in Australia. My house is empty for six weeks. You can get the key and go there. Now, I had only met this lady twice. I didn't think that that was good of me to go to a woman's house that doesn't even know me. I thought it was amazing that this woman would trust me in the way that she did. But I said to myself, no, I can't do that. I stayed in the house for about 10 days with no heating, no lighting, couldn't cook, couldn't do anything, just sitting crying breaking my heart. I phoned the insurance company, the insurance company said, oh, we've not got an appointment till another six days. I said, can I make a video call? So I showed the woman, she says, Guido, you need to get out of there right away. I said, why? She says, you've got RTX in the ceiling. Some architect has a space to You need to leave right away. Now I didn't leave because my house is all I have, and I've got my motorbikes and little things in my house. I'm not. All I've got is my house because I'm not allowed to work anymore. And I was really scared of anything happening to it. I wasn't leaving it at all. I also, because of the thoughts in my head, I. I could go to my brother's, but my brother would come home from his work and sort of, in a nice way, give me a kick and say, come on, Guido, pull yourself together. I couldn't pull myself together. I was just sitting crying constantly because of my brain damage. And someone saying that to me would make it worse, so I couldn't go to my brother's. The insurance company offered to put me in a flat in Johnston, but I don't like mice rats. I don't like drunks, I don't like people who are on drugs, I don't like cheeky people, things like that. That would affect me. I couldn't go somewhere that I would maybe come across these things. So I was staying in the house, so Jackie had phoned me every couple of days and I said to Jackie, Jackie, I'm gonna go to your house, if that's all right. Jackie says, you go to my mum, get the key, you go into the house, you put the heating on, I want you to go up the stairs to my room, use the wardrobes, treat it as if it's your own. Now, I couldn't believe the kindness of this lady. Now, I decided not to do any of that. I went in and I sat in her front room couch crying for a week, non-stop, And she would phone me. I didn't put the heating on, I didn't use a wardrobe, beds, anything. And then she'd said to me that there was a relations over from Australia um, and the family, like her mother and other relations, were going to this <coughs> wedding um, party because the wedding was in Australia. They came over. Jackie wasn't there and I asked, they asked me to go. Now, I wasn't too well, but I went and I got talking to Jackie's family and I really, really liked it. Now to cut a long story short, Jackie came back after six weeks and I just stayed with Jackie and the boy Liam that she was looking after and then Covid came Mm. and I stayed all through Covid with Jackie and then I've got to tell you all, I got married to her (laughs) last July and I am the happiest. Man in the world.
0: Congratulations. And
1: it helped me very, very much to cope with things. Jackie, she is a carer. She's a very, very kind. As far as I'm concerned, she's an angel. And um, she would say, "Right, that's the past." Because I would always talk about my brain damage. I would always talk about the past because. These little videos were playing in my head constantly. So I would meet somebody, I would tell them about it. And Jackie said, Right, it's the future. You've got to think in the future. Now, that was before we got married. And um, it was just absolutely lovely. So I'm very, very lucky that from dying from a motorcycle crash in a coma, then all the bad things that happened, then the amazing things, the people that did beyond the Call of Duty. That, I forget the doctor's name, down in Greenock. If that man hadn't have got me out of the Southern General, he did a lot to help me, but he couldn't help me because I was sleeping all the time. Went back home, luckily I answered that door to Margaret who did so much to help me. And does so much to help a lot of other people. Margaret got me into Graham Anderson House. Graham Anderson House, Margaret knew was the only place that was going to make me better. And they did. It is a marvellous, lovely place that tries its best for everyone. And I then do what I can to. Um, help people. I yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that, Guido What you're doing at the moment and all the efforts that you go to to support people with brain injuries.
1: Well, the first one was that um, they have the head event, and this particular Is that year. the
0: head injury? Head injury in event. Information days. Yes, yeah, they yeah. have
1: it in Edinburgh yeah. and they have it in. Um, Glasgow this year it was at the Central Hotel and there were 600 medical people coming. Now they asked me if I would tell my story. Now they had written most of my story down and I'm talking about Margaret from Quarriels and the Sunshine Club to um, help me to remember because obviously I still have problems remembering things. But I knew that if I looked at the script, I'll get it all wrong. So I threw the script away and 45 minutes, people watched my crash on TV. Then I spoke about the amazing things that people do in Scotland, the people who, who um, do beyond the college of duty. You've got to remember, I was very lucky that those two police officers were coming to my crash. They did everything that they could to save my life. Then I was in Dundee in the coma. There was a nurse, my brother and my family have told me, sitting at my bed 24 hours a day. How tremendous is that? Then I get home and I end up in Greenock, a doctor who does Beyond the Call of Duty. Amazing. I get home, Margaret from the Sunshine Club and Quarriers. I managed to open the door and Margaret then said there's only one place for me, Graham Anderson House. I end up in Graham Anderson House, which helped me tremendously, got me moving further, further on, went home, but sadly things in my brain all came back to me a wee bit. But then Jackie, you know, who I'm very lucky to call my wife, she's now Mrs Corby, um So I am very, very lucky. That the whole experience for me. Sadly, there is people that is not as lucky as me. I met people who do beyond the Call of Duty. So I try now. I was asked to go to the Noel event in the one of the hotels in Glasgow. Uh, I think it was was wasn't the Hilton. The starts with an M. I've forgotten. Anyway. I was on my own at that point and I just went with my mum. And as I'm walking in, the, they've got this ten feet teddy bear, um, and it's all Christmassy because it was about the 20, 20th of December, so as I walk in, the boss of Corio's turns around and goes, oh Guido, I'm glad you could make it, the star of the show. Now, I was very confused at that woman said that to me, and I said, excuse me, what do you mean about the start of the show? She says, well, this is the 24th Noel event where we try to do fundraising for quarriers. One year it could be about um, alcoholism, it could be about drugs or something else. This year it's about brain damage. It's all about you, Guido so we go into a foyer where there's business people and volunteers and they're all getting a coffee or whatever then we go into this amazing foyer which had just been done up we all sit down there's maybe 18 to a table and i'm just listening to all these amazing people some of them are volunteers some of them are from couriers some of them are just business people Some of them are celebrities that are there. So then they've got these six TV screens on the wall. They're not screens, projectors. They're the size of snooker tables, so you know the size of them. So it shows you my crash because it was recorded. Then Margaret from the Sunshine Club comes on and um, quarrels in the Sunshine Club comes on and tells people that 22,000 people had brain damage last year in Scotland or Glasgow, and then she tells a wee bit of my story. Now, then my brother comes up and tells how much couriers, Graham Anderson House, everyone helped me. So they asked me to get up they said that Guido's here and they give me a round of applause, which I didn't want. But I asked before the auction, I said, excuse me, could I just go up and just say a few words? So I just went up and all I wanted to do was let them know that I'm still not, only four or five weeks ago I had to go for um, Mm. counselling and I was still not well. But I wanted them to know that I'm so grateful for what everyone did for me, couriers, Graham Anderson House, everything. I couldn't thank them enough, and that I will always do something for rehabilitation and to help people. Now, when I finished that speech, I was crying, I was going back to my my table, and this man gets up to me, and he shook my hand and he said, Guido, that was amazing. He says, you're a legend. So I sat down and I went, no, I'm not a legend, but I know that man's face, (laughs) and I couldn't remember who it was. So they, they start auctioning, you know, and this woman paid 35000 for something. And I said, oh, that's a lot of money. She said, no, oh, it's not my money. It's Mr. Tunnock's from Tunnock's Caramel Wafers. Now, he had been at the previous 23 events, but he was unwell. And he just phoned up. They said bid 35000 mm-hmm. and anything. How incredible. Mm-hmm. Then after it, this man that called me a legend... His table were bidding on everything, but didn't get anything. He paid 28,000 pounds for a weekend game of golf in Troon. He's probably already a member. So once the event was over, which raised 180,000 pounds, incredible. I went up to the man and I said, I know you, who are you? And he says, I'm Paddy Boner, the old Celtic goalkeeper. I said, well, listen, can I say, that is amazing what you do. You had about 16 people and you were bidding and everything. And I said, you bid a lot of money for that game of golf and you're probably a member. I said, you're a legend. I said, and why do you do it? He says, well, Guido, when I was a young man in Ireland and I was wanting to be a goalkeeper, it was an old lady that was teaching me to be a, goal, a goalkeeper and she took a stroke and he then does things for brain damage. So I've got to say to you, that's one of the things which I'm very, very proud of being able, because of what happened to me, that. But there was other things. I was in a musical for two years called Invisible, about brain damage, which helped a lot of people. Um, and now I'm going to try and do something at the head event again this year. And I've got an ice cream machine, and I'm coming to Graham Anderson House to... uh, I've got a lovely £9,500 It was given to me, and I'm only using it for charity events, uh, a £9,500 Cappuccini ice cream machine, and I'm bringing it to Graham Anderson House, either to give to all the kids or to fundraise for them.
0: So anybody who wants an ice cream, you know who to go to. Yes. (laughs) But (laughs) again,
1: can I just say... A big thank you so much to everyone because you saved my life and I am so much happier now. I'm married, but not only am I married, my wife couldn't have children. I never had a baby in my life. I never had that baby going to first school, going to secondary school, either a boy or a girl, having a boyfriend or girlfriend, getting married. I had no experiences. That made me so sad but now that I'm married to a lovely lady who's a carer for children, she's also got her granddaughter, who is my granddaughter now. I've now got lots of children in my life and I want to do the best I can to make life better for them. So I'm very, very grateful to what everyone did, the amazing people in this country in all the hospitals, Graham Anderson House, Quarriers, the Sunshine Club. I can't thank yous enough.
0: Guido, thank you so much for talking with us and sharing your story. I'm sure that people listening will get lots of support and, and hear that they are not alone in this journey.
1: Yes, and sadly, there are some people that are maybe not as lucky as me. I was very lucky that my brain switched on to allow these amazing people to help me. Some poor people, that doesn't happen. And I'm very, very sad about that. And hopefully, as neurosurgeon Brian O'Neill would come out with new things every single year. So there's always something new coming that can maybe do something that they couldn't do last year. And I I pray for that for everyone.
0: Thank you so much.
1: You're more than welcome. Thank you all so much.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are of the individual and should not be considered professional advice. If you have a brain injury, suspect you have a brain injury or think someone you know has a brain injury, please seek dedicated professional advice.